go. Hello. Welcome to Everyday Being. Welcome back. Uh, Everyday Being is our podcast series, which is our guide to finding the happiness that we think lies within. Uh, Steve Knight and I. Steve, say hello. Hello, everyone. Good to be here again. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm Gareth Evans. So what we typically do is we take a topic, we take things that we come across in normal, simple, everyday lives and think about how we can increase our happiness and performance through a greater understanding of being. Uh, but from time to time, we are fortunate and blessed to be joined by a guest. Uh, and today is one of those uh, episodes. And we're always excited. Uh, and we're pretty excited today for today's conversation and to see where it goes. Uh, because for today, we are joined by Steve Chandler. Steve is the author of 30 books that have been translated into over 25 languages. His personal success coaching, public speaking and business consulting have used, been used by CEOs, top professionals, major universities and over 30 Fortune 500 companies. He also has twice won the National Audio of the Year Award from the King's Feature Syndicate. He's a popular guest on TV, radio, talk shows and has recently been called the most powerful public speaker in America today. So we are incredibly uh, excited and lucky for uh, for him to come and join our, our little old thing here. Um, Steve is a master coach and he's helped train hundreds of other coaches to transform many businesses and, and lives. He does it through others as well. Um, he is a powerful ambassador for being. Uh, he's a wonderful sponsor of ours and our everyday being. Uh, and he previously has coached our own Steve. So, uh, Steve, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Gareth. I, I'm really delighted to be here. I love your podcast, and it's an honor. And that uh, quote about being called the most powerful, that was my mother, I have to confess. It, it, <laughs> Uh, it was nobody uh, of any credibility who would ever say that about my public speaking, but uh, I'm, somehow it made its way into that bio. <laughs> was there anything that I missed in that, Steve, at all that you'd like to add? Oh no, no, it was uh, it was plenty. I got uh, vertigo listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Steve, we've um, we've given you four questions in in advance, uh, but as ever with these conversations, we're going to uh, you know, get your thoughts on things, and the conversation will take us where it where it, it takes us. So please feel free to you know talk about whatever inspires you, whatever's on your mind, whatever you're doing currently, um, and you know I'm sure that'll be fantastic and fascinating, and we can we can take it in a range of ways. Um, we always start with the same question, which is, what does everyday being mean to you? Well, um, it has evolved over time. For me, it, it means a lot to me now. And for most of my career, it meant absolutely nothing. It, it, it was meaningless. And uh, But for now, it means being present, being aware that it's always now, even though my mind races into the future, and uh, when I want to um, be fearful and worry, 
And when I want to be filled with regret, my mind goes <laughs> to the past. But when I'm right here, right now, that's being for me. That's where all, all things occur in the now. All things I've ever created were created in the now. And the greater the awareness of full being in the now, the greater my life goes, the happier I become. And the more I am trying to get into a future now, a better now than now, the more anxious I get, the more worried I get, and the less effective my life becomes in every area. When I'm in a coaching conversation with someone, uh, if I'm really being grounded, aware, awake to the present moment, listening openly, generously, it's a much better session. I'm able to serve my client in a better way. Even in conversation with my family, if I'm truly being, I'm truly in the now, I'm not trying to get through the conversation or I'm not thinking of other things. I'm leaving, whenever I do that, I'm leaving the world of being and I'm entering the circular cul-de-sac, the little cyclotron of the little ego inside the cranium, uh, both fearful of the future and regretful about the past. And so my interaction with what's occurring today uh, does not have that beautiful quality of being when my mind goes there. So once I began to deeply notice that, I was able to catch myself when uh, the mind was going into the future, looking at the clock, wondering about things that are going to happen. I was able to see it from a witnessing standpoint. And so what I found was this higher self, whatever you call it, the relaxed being, is what allows me to see thoughts as not being me, things just coming up on the screen that I don't have to believe or Velcro to. And when my relationship to my own thinking began to change, that's when my relationship to be in the moment changed dramatically. And then over time, just having the fun, not the hard discipline, but the fun of living in the flow of now, which to me is being. And you mentioned, Steve, that at one point it didn't mean anything to you or wasn't of a particular interest to you. Was there anything that sort of sort of has led you to that point or was there anything that particularly happened or you know what what was the sort of what was the process for you in terms of where you were and where you are now i think mm -hmm. uh if i were to look back the the greatest wake-up call i had was when i went through recovery for addiction and I had tried so hard with different psychologists, 
to try to figure out why it was I was addicted to drugs and alcohol. This was 40 years ago, 40 some years ago. It wasn't yesterday. My clients, I always have to mention how they get nervous if they think um, I'm sober for one day and I'm here to work with you. <laughs> uh, but it was a total wake-up call because they had a system of recovery that did not refer to the past in a shaming way. They used a disease metaphor. It wasn't, we could debate forever whether um, certain addictions are truly a disease or whether they're genetic or whatever, but they used it as a useful metaphor um, to just for today, just live in the day as far as your addiction goes. And if you cannot drink today, that's our system. And I, I thought, wow, well, I can do that because all thoughts of never drinking again for me were just overwhelming. What am I going to do at a family gathering? How am I going to survive that without drinking? And what about... New Year's Eve, am I supposed to just drink soda water? Um, how, how would that work? Or what if I have to sing in front of a group uh, without? And that, and they said, that, that's, that's not part of our system. We don't worry about that because we've found that if you do it on a basis called just for today, uh, it'll work for you. You don't worry about how many days you have to string together or what you're going to do in the future. And so then I ask them, well, what about why? Aren't we going to find out why I drink? What's the psychological trauma in my life that had me turn to drink to solve my psychological issues? Don't I have to solve those? And they said, no, that, that's not in our system. Our system works better if uh, the past is dealt with on the level of amends, if they refer to it as the wreckage of your past, which was very relevant to everybody in the group who had been addictively drinking or using drugs. Mm. Uh, we don't go to the past. We don't have shame and regret um we treat it like a disease you're recovering from and if something disturbs your day your now from guilt about the past then you make amends you make amends and that's part of the system because the goal here is to live a great day and to not not to have a long linear string of recovery and not to have a long linear shame for what you did when you were drinking. Mm. And that was, that was the first real wake up call to me um, that the mind does not have to travel to the future and then back to the past and then over to the future throughout the day. And I saw over time, then I began to get coaching, and I now that I was sober, I could cr actually create a life. And through coaching, I saw it even further 
that whatever I was wanted to create with my coach, we would create it now. We would create a system for it, or we would create next action steps. And um, so, so that was it. I would, if I had to point to one thing, Steve, um, that that would be the moment where I first got my first wake up call for mm. being in the now. Mm. 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 Yeah. And that, because I don't know much about those sort of programs, but is it there, because it feels like the system like you described, is there also something about, is it something about trusting in a higher power as well? Is that is that part well, of it? Yes, that was part of it. It is a spiritual program. It is, right. But <clears throat> we were all free to... Um, create an interpretation of that that made sense for us so many people were able to harmonize that with a religion they were in and they they could refer to the higher power as a deity in, inside that religion mm. or if you didn't have that all you had to notice was that your own ego was not running the world mm not in charge of life you couldn't control events or other people so it was referred to as a power greater than yourself mm. and it could be the Tao, the flow of life the universe the quantum field you you could interpret it any way you wanted and all it had to be was an acknowledgement that i am not in charge of the world I, my ego, which tried to run things, tried to get sober with self-will, uh, is not is not the only power there is. And that asking for help and tapping in, connecting with, you could even refer to the power greater than yourself as the power of the group right. sitting together, supporting each other. Mm in getting clean and sober. So in that respect, um, that's all that power really refers to. Yeah. And there's a misunderstanding. A lot of recovery programs um, demonize or belittle the 12-step, and, and they think 12-step uh, makes you tries to convert you into a spiritual person, tries to make you believe in something. But it doesn't. People who go into it and stay long enough, they realize that's not really true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What impact was it having on your relationship, Steve, as you were sort of increasing that awareness and in the moment presence? Yeah, that was that was really huge um, because it allowed me to be open to new ways of being in relationships. I remember after, um, after I got clean and sober for a while and w was clear enough in my brain to explore other systems. And I, my, 
I hired a psychologist to work with me, Nathaniel Brandon, who had written a number of books. He's well known for being part of Ayn Rand's group, the objectivist group she had. And then he became known for writing books on self-esteem. And I worked with him and I worked with his wife. And my relationship with my teenage daughter was not going well. And um, I wanted all kinds of um, techniques or what should I do to have a better relationship with her. And Nathaniel's wife, Devers, was doing a session with me on the phone. And she recommended uh, just being with my daughter. And I said, well, what, 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 what are you talking about? And she said, well, can you imagine sitting with your daughter? And, and she was a real rebel. She was anti-parents, anti-teachers, anti-government, anti-grown-ups. Uh, and she said, can you imagine sitting with your daughter with no agenda of your own. And I thought, oh my gosh, uh, no, I can't imagine that. Because when, when I was looking back, I thought I, I always <laughs> had some kind of corrective agenda. Some My conversations with her were always about... Um, correcting her behavior, suggesting, downloading my wisdom to her, uh, giving her philosophical guidance that would be useful, um, but never just being, never um, sitting with her with no agenda. I, I'm not trying to change her in any way for this conversation. She said, are you willing to experiment with it? And I said, sure. And it, it, it was really miraculous. Uh, my daughter was very confused when I first tried it because I sat with her and I just said, so how's it going? And she said, uh, fine. And she looked at me like, okay, what's coming here? What, what needs to be fixed? What needs to be corrected that you that you're afraid to talk about? And um, I said, "Oh, good." And uh, and I just sat there and I, I I said, "How how was your day at school? Did you show up for school?" Uh, usually the first question. And uh, she just and after a while she said, "Dad, what what what's going on here? Are you okay?" Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm fine. I, I just like hanging out with you. And uh, she said, okay. And uh, after a while, she saw that's all I really wanted to do. And our relationship changed. And that was, that was uh, miraculous to me because it changed by my willingness to do nothing, to just be. Another two people <laughs> sitting on the couch, uh, enjoying each other's company. And I was able to take that little system, no agenda, and uh, start applying it to other problematic family members that I was either mentally 
criticizing or labeling or um or trying to impress i used to think everybody needs to know what my opinions are on everything at every family gathering that's something that they have a deep need for and uh and even if they don't know it and it's got to be a subconscious need and i can't leave them without my opinions that would be a waste of time and when i changed that to um my opinions may not be a necessary component to a family gathering. I might be able to just be there and and hang out and enjoy the human comedy that is playing around me, bring popcorn. <laughs> and so, yeah, a lot, my relationships, Gareth, they, they changed dramatically from that one little conversation uh, with that psychologist who r recommended no agenda, try that out. Mm. Mm. And it, 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 yeah, and maybe that'd be a knitting point to take a bit further, because I think often when you talk about being and connecting and being in the now and you sort of connecting to um to your own awareness and so on i think for some people it can feel a little bit passive in a sense so yes. of course, sometimes there is that there is that ability just to be really just present really engaged and what i loved about that story steve is just with your daughter just allowing to whatever emerge emerge because that felt like as part of that relationship um you know that perhaps had been something that she hadn't necessarily been experiencing with you. So you can definitely see there's that, that part of it that's really powerful. I think the other thing that I think is amazing about you in a sense is that you've constantly created as well. So in a way from your, that sense of being, you've actually been incredibly engaged in the world in many different, in many different ways. And clearly, you know, to write 30 books, <laughs> you know, that's a very sort of creative exercise. And there's obviously a lot of doing in order to, 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 to achieve that. So I'd just be interested in what, you know, what's your experience of that? You know, that, that, yeah, coming from being doesn't mean that we're, we're sort of passive and we're not engaged in things. I think you mentioned no. that creation earlier. Yeah. Just be interested, just what your perspective is on that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well, in the first place, passive isn't automatically negative. In the Western world, it is kind of seen that way. Like we just got to be doing, doing, doing. Mm -hmm. uh, my plant is beautiful, but incredibly passive. It never does much. Um, so it's it's not automatically negative, but in in my in my creating the books I've written, the seminars I've given, I found that coming from being in the now, in the moment, relaxing, uh, I was able to write with a great, a lot more fluidity and ease 
and I wasn't editing myself. I wasn't writing, trying to finish or trying to get to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> I was able to sit with the page I was working on and um, only be with this page, this paragraph, this sentence, instead of looking ahead and looking behind, how much have I written? When's my deadline? Will anybody ever read this? All those thoughts that take me out of the now um, were making my writing very hard to do, a real struggle, because I was fighting against myself while I was writing. Mm -hmm. So I began to employ some tricks to keep me in the now when I was writing. It's only... And, and I would actually... Um, write my books as if I were writing a brief email to a friend. So I would come up with a, a little topic or a story I wanted to tell. And I would actually, as, as a brain trick, I would actually write it as an email. Hey, Fred, here's something I've seen lately about creating agreements. Let me tell you about it. And, and I would just type it up unedited, knowing he wasn't going to judge my grammar or wonder if my um, metaphor was absurd. Uh, and, and by staying in the now in a relaxed way, I was able to create a lot more than I was <clears throat> when I was really fighting to write. And I had all these psychological terms that I was believing in, like writer's block and um, deep insecurity, worthiness issues, all these things that never came up when I was writing a nice letter or email to a friend. That never arose. So I would just transfer the kind of mindset I would have when writing a simple email to my writing of books or blog posts or um, things I was sending the clients. And uh, that relaxed me and, and kept me not passive at all. It actually allowed uh, a sense of grounded being in the now, allows for... Um, activity to flow in a creative way and trying to anticipate the future, trying to anticipate what people will judge my communication as uh, was just so hard. And it just was not a good system for writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you are creating, <clears throat> what's your sense of where, you know, where that comes from? Do you, you know, do you have a, yeah, because obviously, you know, you've created lots of things, you know, through the books and the seminars and the coaching schools that you're part of and so on. Um, and clearly, you know, I know, I know, I know from the work I did with you that it's not all the same stuff either. It's not like you're just doing the same, it's sort of, um, it's not Groundhog Day by any stretch of the imagination. Um, 
So I just wonder, you know, what's your sense of that that creativity and, and sort of what it is and where it comes from and just, yeah, just your own experience of it? <clears throat> I think it comes from be, being okay with uh, not knowing, being in a place where I don't know exactly what I'm going to create. I know I know the general intention of what I want to communicate and allowing myself to be open um, to find memories that work, to find references to people who have inspired me that might fit in my book or to find a, a story that might be relevant. Or And the more open I am, the less I care about how good it is, then I am now tapped into it can come from anywhere. And, and you know, you you read, I read interviews with Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan and people I admire. I was a songwriter for a number of years. And they talk about their their best work somehow comes through them it doesn't come from them mm -hmm. in other words it doesn't come from a a calculated ego trying to control the creative process trying to make something occur on the page it comes from allowing something to show up through who knows where? Being okay with the mystery of where creativity comes from. Mm. I know the conditions of it. I know that a deep relaxation and a, a, a sense of curiosity, openness, patience. I know those conditions help. And, and a sense of a reader, a sense of someone else that I'm communicating with. Um, but I don't know. Um, I can't put my finger on where mm. it all comes from. It comes from everywhere. Because mm. what I really pick up in what you're saying is you, you seem... There's something about the process of it all that, that a lot of what you're describing is... I don't know, there's an engagement with the process. There's a, you know, you've mentioned systems a few times, which I know is perhaps something to come on to, because I know that's a, in something that you're uh, looking into more and more. And I, yeah, it seems that, and I've always been struck, I suppose, when I've looked at certain individuals that that seem to have, you know, a lot of sports is a good example where there's certain people, I mean, I don't watch a lot of tennis, for example, but like someone like a Roger Federer that had such a, sort of long and successful career, but definitely had periods where, you know, he wasn't very successful for a number of years, I think in his sort of 30s. And you thought, well, you must just enjoy the whole process of, of playing, of training, of all the things that must go around it. And clearly, you know, he's got more money than he could ever spend. So you felt like, well, it can't, that can't be the motivation. That can't even be the trophies just by themselves that are the motivation. And I think you see that, and I, I really pick that up with you as well. There seems to be something about just enjoying the whole process of of engaging in things, of getting down to things, of just being part of that creative process. 
you seem yes. to get a lot from that actually i mean it's that i agree that's it exactly the more i focus <clears throat> on the ultimate outcome the ultimate goal the less i'm in the moment and a lot of the great athletes you hear interview they love every moment they're not just out to win the gold they love the the training and i remember michael neal and i did a uh, master master course or something i don't know what you call it but we did a course on creative writing and he's written a number of books and so we we wondered what to call it how do you teach creativity we don't even know where it comes from how can we possibly teach it and he said you know what creativity is all about falling in love with writing falling in love with the process and so that's what we call the course um don't focus on the outcome if all i care about is winning the super bowl then the path to the super bowl is going to be a grind it's mm. going to be i'm doing something in order to have something in the future mm. happen but if i'm doing something for its own sake just i love this game i love this play i love this moment in the game my mind isn't going out there um then my play improves and i'm more likely to have an outcome but i'm not doing it entirely for that reason mm -hmm. and a lot of the athletes who only do it for that reason i must win the gold and they grind so hard and put so much pressure that when they don't finish or they they only get the silver medal you see them emotionally devastated mm -hmm. all this work for nothing mm. and um it's just not a good system to over focus on the end result mm. you want to keep it in mind you want to have it be that i want to do what it would take to give me a chance to get there that would be fun to win mm. but it can't be what is on your mind every second or else you'll you'll miss the moment yeah and just about i know gareth you want to ask a question i'm just going to say the um also the other devastation is the number of uh particularly olympic athletes that do win the gold and find that there's still the emptiness actually yeah a number of people that say you know worked all my life you know my competitive life for it achieve the gold and then just felt like oh my god it didn't it didn't do what i thought it was was going to do and actually fall into quite a deep depression yeah quite often yeah and and former football players and, and and now that the game they're too old to play life just seems meaningless they go into depression and uh they gave it way too much meaning the thing that was coming to my mind, Steve, as you were talking, is that sometimes the sort of actually not falling in love can be as powerful and tell us something as well. Um, you know, I, what, what I was thinking about was there's many a person that sat down with an ambition to write a book um, and it just 
it just not happen um and, and clearly it can happen you know not happen for a load of reasons particularly sort of attachment to i'm going to be a best-selling author and this is the life i'm going to have so they're very much sort of thinking about an outcome or attachment um but but i wonder what i was thinking about was sometimes you can do something with really good intentions and you know actually we can be uh applying good presenteeism in the moment connected to it and then find actually we don't love these things we, we don't yeah. enjoy we don't enjoy them and actually i think that's a really powerful thing of of, of if all these things are true and you're not enjoying it and you're not in love with the process well actually that's okay because that's telling you it's it's not for you and there's something else out there so actually go and enjoy the creation that comes from it yes that's true so many i meet so many people a friend of mine went to law school she became a lawyer Hmm. because her parents wanted that and she wanted her outcome was to finally make her parents totally approve of her and respect her but she hated being a lawyer she didn't enjoy it at all and finally came to the realization this is my life and i want to she went to the university of santa monica and fell in love with spiritual psychology and coaching and uh, found a whole new life and just set her law degree aside so you're right on not experimenting and finding out this is not for me uh that's valuable and you've mentioned psychology a few times um and uh, and you've also mentioned systems as well and how important those are and then obviously you've talked a lot about being and the, the the importance of being um and yeah just be you know be interested yeah just to share a bit of your thoughts around that you know that that sort of the being the psychology the sort of systems and i know you're doing some really interesting sort of work and doing some writing around that um so but only share what you're happy to share but i'd just be really interested in yeah what you know what has been your journey with that and where are you sort of currently in terms of your thinking around those three things yeah um i'm i'm currently writing a book with trevor timbeck who's a brilliant writer and coach and we've both arrived at realizing um our clients and we ourselves looking at our lives have automatically looked towards psychology to solve things that um, are not being solved in that domain. And, um, And we're looking at various samples where systems um, work faster and better because they are impersonal. A system, for example, if if someone's trying to write a book and um, she is saying, there's something wrong with me, I I procrastinate, I don't write, I think I should see a shrink, Uh, and, and many writers go to psychiatrists, psychologists to have their writer's block 
treated with a question why what's wrong with me what what is inside my persona my permanent personality my personality defects my character flaws that have to be solved for me to cure this procrastination problem i have about writing my book or whatever whatever i want to do but i'm not doing and what trevor and i have found we're writing a book about is that um this is solved much faster if you take yourself out of the equation your self-obsession your amateur psychology we're not talking about skilled gifted psychologists which i have benefited a lot from learned a lot from martin seligman and positive psychology and dr nathaniel brandon so many but quite often um if a writer for example we're using that example you don't have to solve procrastination or a personality flaw to write your book all you need is a system so sometimes i will suggest or i will co-create a simple system with a client and now she's agreed to write 30 minutes every day to work on her book and to put it in her diary in her calendar block it with the same uh respect and honor block it on the calendar that she would give to a meeting with someone that she she wouldn't dream of not showing up for mm. and um and then follow that system and see how it works now when you have a system like that 30 minutes a day i can go longer but never shorter um the book will be written and however you feel when you come to the point in your diary where you have your 30 minutes blocked out if i don't feel like writing that's irrelevant because my system is uh something that i've agreed with myself to follow so all the personal aspects are now gone the same is true when i want to fly to london to give a talk um i have a system it's called buying tickets i i purchase tickets i put it on my calendar i arrange for a ride to the airport i pack my bags the night before i set my alarm clock i have a hotel room booked and um that's a system that i follow now whether i feel like waking up when the alarm rings whether whether i even feel like going to london um that doesn't enter in that can and those feelings come and go mm. but most people go to psychology and try to solve their feelings mm. in order to take the action they want to take and trevor and i have found and we're writing the book about this is if i move all that worry and concern out of my folk psychology not professional if i move it out of that 
domain, that category, and move it into what's my system for having this occur? For example, my system for having a better, more trusting relationship with my daughter was to have no agenda conversations, have no agenda time with her. That was a system. Um, and I was willing to follow the system. So, so in that case, and it sounds like we're making psychology wrong and making systems right. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to illustrate that people go to psychology far too often, all the time. It's in the culture. How do you feel about this? Uh, are you motivated? Are you? Do you feel committed to it? Do you want it badly enough? And and mm -hmm. people are always questioning that. Mm. Why don't I do this? Why do I drink? Um, why do I uh, say I'm going to do something and not do it? Well, what's your system for doing it? Mm. The underlying system is that I do it when I feel like it. That was my system for everything. Yeah. Uh, taking my emotional temperature throughout the day, see what I felt like doing. And that's that had me spend my entire day with my thoughts and feelings and not serve other people, create what I wanted to create, or have the life I wanted. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, was the value of systems. It allows people to temporarily depersonalize the process <clears throat> so they take themselves and all their worries and cares and self-doubt and low confidence and take that out of the equation and find a system you can follow and follow the system and it is a miracle worker. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and you've been kindly sharing me some of the dialogues you've had and you sent me one yesterday that I was listening to this morning actually when I was out on my morning walk I've been really enjoying them so thank you for sending them they've been really helpful and it was really interesting I thought this morning or the conversation you were having with Trevor was um it, it was a really interesting conversation because it was about when someone says oh how do I not take this personally and it's really interesting and you had a really interesting sort of dialogue around it and I guess for me as I was listening to it, I was thinking it's so interesting because as soon as you if you take that premise it's like how do I not take this personally it's almost it's all about you know it's all back here it feels like okay right. I've just got to deal with it now and I think the conversation we're having is actually if you just even if you just change the language of well how are you making this personal I right. thought it was such an interesting way because then it suddenly takes you, oh, yeah, it takes you more actually into the curiosity of what's happening and how am I making this, of how am I making this personal? And, right. yeah, and it felt like, ah, oh, of course. Well, there must be a system that you're using completely, you know, unconsciously and unintentionally that that you, you, you've got a system that's making it, personal yes because we'll all have situations where things happen to us where we don't make it personal so there must be a different sort of system at play so i think yeah it was it's been interesting as we and i know you and i have talked about that in some of our dialogues as well that i think it's really interesting what you're doing is sort of almost um 
yeah, blurring the line a little bit, I suppose, around sometimes things that we think are psychology and that we need to address psych psychologically, it's actually often more helpful to think about them more from a systems perspective of what system have I unintentionally or unconsciously or innocently created here that might be behind this? And actually, yeah. is there something I could look at to change that? That then almost means the psychology part that is sort of irrelevant, really. Um, you don't have to deal with it. So I thought that That's was right. that was a really interesting point you were both discussing. Yeah, and you're right about language. Um, we habitually, without seeing it, use language with ourselves that have us take almost everything personally. My wife cheated on me. Well, she had a woman had an affair. So the more we take it personally, the further away we get from reality, mm. and the more um, it just gets absurd, and the more miserable we become. I wanted to have a picnic today, and I opened the window and it's raining. And I yell, why me? This rain is coming down. Why? On the day I wanted to have a picnic, the last thing I needed. And uh, there's a great country song. The last thing I needed, the first thing this morning, was to have you walk out on me. <laughs> now, that, that is a, an illustration of hyper-personalization mm. uh, of, of a neutral event. And and our language system is really worth looking at in that regard mm. um, of how we describe things to ourselves. We have no choice but to take it personally. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when you were having that dialogue, you were talking about personal mind and so on. And we've talked a lot about that on this podcast about universal mind and personal mind as as a way of um of, of understanding what's behind the creation of our experience and i suppose it's interesting if the the only way we can have an experience is through our through our personal mind so in a in a sense all of our thinking is personal but if you see that then it gives you a different relationship to it. So you can see then how you're taking a particular incident and making it personal through your personal, through your personal mind. I think it it really, as I was listening to that dialogue, I was thinking, oh, it does enable you just to step back a little bit from, from that and see the process by which that's all being created. That's right. But then, as you were describing earlier about, you know, and I was actually about creativity, if that's coming from something that doesn't feel personal, you know, in the three principles world, that would be universal mind, what Sydney Banks would describe as sort of universal mind, that often when we're really connected to that, we're really present, we're really in the moment, we're really connected to that deeper intelligence of life or the life force that Phil Stutz talked about. You, you can sort of see that the more we can live life from that place, both in 
when it's when we're being creative, but also when we're dealing with some of the challenges and that we the issues that we face, it does sort of enable us to not take those things personally if we're living more from that deeper connection to to sort of being. So it it still means we're going to have those thoughts and it doesn't mean that we're not going to have disturbing thoughts or feelings and emotions. But it just seems to me, it just gives us an ability just to be able to sort of step back slightly from those, still have them, but not feel we need to manage them or get rid of them or we can just um, have an acceptance of them and come from more from being and then I suppose in your language, think, okay, if the things I want to change here, what are the what what's the system I need to have in place to enable me me to do that? So it's yeah, not sure. trying to deny the feelings, but it's just almost it's one of your tapes. Yeah. I thought one of your brilliant tapes was, Are you a feeler or are you a doer? And I really <laughs> recommend anybody to to listen to that one because it's such a good description of. Are, are you just a feeler, just responding to your feelings all the time? Or yeah. are you a doer? And I think everyone will have parts of their life where they can fall into both yes. with different mindsets. Yeah. I like what you're saying about stepping back. Um, that's For me, that's being. So if I'm up too close and taking everything personally... Um. Then, then I'm out of being, and I'm into judging. I'm into judging, and then after my judging, follows reacting emotionally. I judge. This shouldn't be happening. This is not good. This is bad. And then now I'm reacting emotionally. But when I'm just in my being, I'm welcoming the reality of experience, and and through practice, gentle practice and awareness, and through the enjoyment of it, not the rigorous discipline of it, because that's another attempt to have have some goal occur. I want to become an enlightened, happy being, and I won't, I won't rest until I am. No, rest now, rest now in being, and practice non-judgmental, um, acceptance and then after you after that becomes so self-rewarding simply by experimenting with it then it even moves into welcoming welcoming um whatever experience is occurring doesn't mean you can't welcome it and then say um i would like to take some action that would have that be different in the future that's fine that's great but it happens more effectively if I'm not upset by it. A lot of people think I have to melt down and get so upset with a situation before I'm motivated to change it. Mm-hmm. That That's a terrible system for enjoying life. And it's also a terrible system for changing the situation. Mm-hmm. I can change situations from a more lighthearted, creative mindset faster than from me being deeply upset about it. 
Yeah. Steve, so, so many of the people that <coughs> listen to the mm. podcast series are uh, coming to uh, everyday being for the for the first time and are uh, trying to um, see what it means for them, see if it's something that can be of benefit to them, playing around or experimenting as as you you describe. Um, so I'm I'm interested as either what have you seen that's worked well with people in the past or as you sit there now what would you encourage somebody who is just in their early stages of of developing their understanding i would recommend they listen to your previous podcasts and listen in a relaxed way and allow with an open mind allow what they hear to resonate with their own experience of life. And I think the beauty of your podcast is it reminds me when I listen that it's everyday being, it's normal, it's ordinary, it's accessible, it's there for all of us. We are being, whether we want to or not, but are we awake and aware to the relaxed beauty of being, or are we trying to find a podcast that says someday being if you work hard enough? <laughs> that's not that's not the podcast I want to hear. Uh, but that's how people think. Someday I'm going to be a relaxed, enlightened, happy, spiritual person. Give me the difficult. How many hours do I have to meditate before I achieve that wonderful goal? Mm -hmm. Well, it's right here, right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about your the work the two of you do is it gives me the right here, right? It's right here. And what do we put in the way of it that we don't have to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you you've got a very natural way of of making it every day. <laughs> so I, I I think um yeah, you've got this very you've got a very good way of this relationship between being and doing, which we've sort of touched on quite a, a few times over the course of the podcast. Um but you, you just seem to have a very natural way of just, I don't know, just almost sort of going with the ebb and flow of that, seem very comfortable in going with the sort of ebb and flow of that. Um, and I don't know, does, is that, does that what it feels like to you, that there's just this very, that those two things, I don't know, do, do you think about them in different ways or do, do they feel more holistic, more and more holistic for you? Yeah, I'm, I think about them as a very easy flow, but I didn't used to. I, I used to fight. I came out of um, a really strong achievement-based value system or whatever it was. Like, if it's to be, it's up to me. And I don't need help. I'm self-reliant. I can do it on my own. And I need to prove my value to everyone. I need to impress people and uh, put my name out there and make an impression. And, and 
that just went so badly that that whole approach that over time i saw um that just doesn't work and so little by little i i experimented with a more relaxed approach a more thoughtful mindful contemplative approach to what really are my values and um who do I need to impress once again and why? How about I just serve people enough that I have a career that I get paid for? And uh, why wouldn't enough be enough? You know, we, we say um, in our culture, the Western culture, enough is not enough. Are you okay with them? Yes, I mean, are you okay if you just have enough? No, I want more. I don't want to just have enough. I, I want more. Well, then, then what is the meaning of enough? To you? I thought enough meant you had enough. I thought the word means you, you have enough. But people think enough means not. I want more. I want abundance. I want. I, I actually once took a course in Meridian Tapping for Abundance. I didn't want to. I didn't want to work for it. I was trying to get out of that. But they had this thing where you tap your meridians, and uh, uh, the universe would send abundance your way. Yeah. I even had a book called "Grow Rich While You Sleep," and I I just jumped on that. I wouldn't have paid anything for that book. And if, <laughs> grow I can do that. Grow rich while you sleep. And it was all these ways of having passive income. And I attempted passive income. How, how wonderful. I can watch <laughs> Netflix and um, and eat cheeseburgers and drink beer, and, and here comes the income. The real meaning of the word abundance means more than you need. It means... Uh, <laughs> More than you, like you said about Federer, more than he could ever spend. And that, that that's that's a weird goal. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Steve, if there was one thing, one message, or one theme that you would encourage the listener to to think about, what would it be? Um, who can you serve today? Who needs your help? And if you're looking for greater financial situation, then keep it within your profession. What customer can I serve a little more than I have? What client can I send something to that might help? That's And, and that focus on other people and serving other people is a system that takes you out of your own egoic life of misery right away, right by itself. You don't have to learn non-duality, learn to meditate, learn to become enlightened so that I'm not an ego, maniacal, miserable um, person. Forget the person that you think you are and and 
help other people as, as an experiment, not as something you're trying to believe in. Mm -hmm. That's the message. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just, because <clears throat> you've got an, another audio, Steve, only you called the a pleasing versus serving. And yeah. uh, again, I'd really recommend that. I mean, I, in a lot of my coaching with, people that is often a real game changer for them actually is when they recognize what pleasing actually does and where it comes from that of course at one level it looks like it's about the other person but they start to realize actually when I think of it, it's actually about me it's what I need from someone else and when they genuinely step into that space of who do I need who do I need to be if I if if I'm being in service of other people, so it's still you're being you, but actually it's all about the other person and just that shift. I yeah. lifts a huge burden for people. So I yeah, I'd really recommend that audio. I think it makes that it makes a really nice distinction that can really make quite a profound difference actually for people. And there are other audios available, I should say, <laughs> by Steve Chandler. <laughs> there are lots of really good audios. Yes, yeah. yes everyone get your credit cards out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. We have a timeshare. Timeshare we're going to now sell you. <laughs> yeah. Steve, we've been going just, just over an, an hour now. Uh, so... I'm conscious of how much time that we can steal steal you for. Um, I've got one last question, okay? Uh, um, uh, if I, if I may, because um, I'm really fascinated to see what you say to this. One of the questions that we've asked people who've come on the show before is: Is there something that they've heard us talk about that hasn't landed, or they disagree with, or they're still sort of, you know, struggling with the the theme and the and the topic and um, I'd really like to ask you that question because it's part of me, you know, given everything that you've done and all that you've written about and how you've, you know, empowered and inspired so many other people, um, you know, it, it's probably easy to say there isn't one of those things, but actually I wonder if there is. So is there any, any kind of unresolved question that you have? Well, um, boy, I can go look for something if you're willing to pay me if I find something. Uh <laughs> I can look, go back and listen, um, but I, I re I'm really in such harmony with what you guys are doing that uh, I'm sure I could find something that I could argue or, or doesn't fit my, your language wouldn't fit mine, but doesn't make it wrong. No, no, I think you guys are on the right track. What you're doing is super useful, and I won't try to find anything that i haven't I, nothing has occurred to me yet but i'll be on the lookout for it if you'll give me a, a do-over if i find something i'm happy to come on the certainly do that i'm on the podcast again and 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 rant about it <laughs> yeah yeah we look forward to that yeah yeah um steve knight any sort of last last comments no i just say thanks very much steve uh, um I, I mean yeah i had a wonderful experience in my um coaching with you um so i was so pleased when you agree you know you, you you very kindly listened to the podcast you know as as a result of um you know me saying we've just started doing it um 
and I know you've publicized it for us as well with with your community and then agreeing to come on as well uh, um yeah it's been um it's been great you know I really think you you're really on to something I think with where where you're coming from within the sense of that deep sense of sort of being and then I think the work you're doing with Trevor in terms of sort of bringing that then um within a sort of systems approach uh, uh you know as I've said to you I think it's that's really going to make a real difference for people um and I think it's something that's desperately needed if I'm honest I, I think you know maybe with all the things we're seeing around mental health there's a lot of really good intention stuff and a lot of people put in a huge amount of time and effort but it's not really we're not really seeing the results of that if if you look at it um and I do I do generally think what where you and Trevor are coming from I think might be something that is taking a slightly different view that I think could be incredibly helpful and incredibly beneficial to to many people actually that perhaps are struggling with their psychology but have found that that route hasn't helped them through it and like you said it might be that that can still help some people but for those that hasn't for whatever reason it might be offering another avenue so um yeah really do wish you the best of luck with that thank you thank both of you for i thank both of you for having me on Steve, as you've encouraged people to get their credit cards out, they might have it waiting. Is there any particular thing you'd want them to pro- you'd want to promote or encourage them to go and uh, acquire, and investigate that that's that's your work? Well, um, yeah, I do have a book that has rather than buying the other, buying all thirty, which you could do. Uh, I have a book called The Best of that's got the best little parts from every book and you save a lot of money by just buying that one so that would be the one thing i'd recommend people buy if they're interested good well there there we go there's an encouragement to, to you so um thank you for um being with us today i hope that there is something that you've heard steve steve and i talk about that has resonated as as uh, steve chandler encouraged you to to do um and as ever we would absolutely be delighted to hear from you with some thoughts and insights or any questions that you've got so uh, feel free to get in touch with us uh, on email which is hello at everydaybeing.co.uk or on instagram where it's everyday.being um and until next time look after yourself take care and uh, sending you the biggest of big big loves see you soon thank you